Mr. Mr. My man. Hey, hey man. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no worries, man. Uh, I saw, uh, we we were chatting over the past few weeks, and then I figured, hey, you know, I'm starting this new thing. Who better to talk to than than Leo? <laughs> yeah, made sense. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you're super busy, right? But I also I really like the idea of the podcast. Yeah, I mean, I am busy. Let's get into that in a minute. Um, I'm still kind of trying to figure out how I want to organize these things. And that's also, uh, so I'm also having a question for you for this session is to pay attention to how things are structured and maybe give me some feedback at the end of it. Uh, that being said, thank you for being here. Uh, as you can see, things are recording. Uh, so uh, I also, I'm also running in transcription. I can share with you everything later as well. The idea is that, you know, we talk over, uh, well, to the people listening into this kind of like a bit of backstory on who you are, but you and I already know each other. Um, so maybe we can go over that and then dive into like the top three questions of designer life that you're facing at the moment. Sounds good. Yes. Should I start with a little introduction? Yeah, let's do that. Cool. So I'm Leon. I'm currently based in Munich. I'm studying here at the Technical University of Munich and previously worked at HelloFresh as a product manager. And yeah, like last year in October, decided that I need a break, um, want to do something else, and then decided to get back to university. Mm -hmm. um, before that, yeah, I started just some like some side hustles, some side projects, and also studied before that. Um, yeah. And I was always curious about design. That's how I kind of also met you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's funny, right? Like we first met, I think it's been a year now, maybe longer even. I'm not yeah. so sure, but it was an IDP list. And uh, I think back then it started with questions, not, not directly tied to design, but more your product management role within HelloFresh and how to kind of navigate some of your thoughts. And uh, I am considering you my friend from Munich now, uh, ever since you invited us to come and talk at the university. Um, that is something, by the way, we are like, uh, the moment you send that message, we all got very hyped because it sounds like a, just a cool opportunity to meet up with you. And uh, yeah, maybe bring some value to uh, to the University of uh, or Technical University of Munich. We we definitely have to figure that out. So I yeah I met some fellow students here at the university who are also very design driven and mm -hmm. like to learn more because we all realized that like even though we are a technical university, there are not that many courses on the creative aspect of like product design, right? Um, so we started that little initiative and yeah now want to bring things together and maybe invite some industry experts like you. Right. Uh, very happy to hear you think I'm an expert. <laughs> Not that confident about it yet. No. Um, but, but tell me, like, what are you studying in exactly then? Because you, the way I understood it, you're really interested into moving into a design career. However, this is the Technical University of Munich. Like, how does that work? Correct. So I also, I mean, I worked in product before and originally have that little business background, right? 
And I realized also working with a lot of engineers that when communicating with them, I yeah. sometimes don't really understand the like technical background they are implementing. And that's something I really thought that's something I have to figure out at least on a high level. I want to understand them and be able to communicate with them on a proper level. So I'm studying here, um, like a combination of management and entrepreneurship, and then mm -hmm. also computer engineering to get the basics right. of programming and, and software architecture, right? Right. And then design was always just more of a passion for me. So I'm also thinking about like going into a, I don't know, like doing a design internship here, but so far I just see it as like side projects and curiosity. Right. So it's, you're still very much focused on the, uh, let's say business product management side of things, but you just want to get a broader understanding of the roles that technically play into them. Exactly. And I feel like, I mean, would like to get your opinion on that as well, but there's a very tight linkage between product management and designing good products, right? So there's an intersection. Yeah, I actually wanted to talk to you about this as well because uh, of like we are organizing. We haven't officially spoken about the event yet. We will do so more officially in the near future, but we are organizing something around that whole discussion. So uh, I'll, I'll share some things with you offline later uh, that might be interesting to you. Uh, yeah, I cannot go into too much detail yet. <laughs> anyway, um, cool. So I asked you to uh, bring two, three, four, eighteen questions that are currently like top of your mind, and maybe we can take one of those and uh, and just explore our thoughts a bit there. Yeah, the first one I actually thought about is more personal and directed to you because I. I think you asked me that when we first met like a year ago um, and maybe to share the background story here a little bit ADP list is basically mentoring platform for designers right but I never really wanted to get a design mentor I always was curious about like entrepreneurs founders people who actually start their own ventures and when I looked for that you were basically one of the first ones who popped up on that uh, on that search um, that's why I was curious to meet you um, and you asked me, um, what drives you to build something of your own in one of the first sessions? And right. I realized that I never asked that back to you. Like, what drives <laughs> you to build something of your own? I see your roles are getting reversed here. I see how this works. <laughs> um, that is a good question. That is a good question. And um, I've been rethinking a lot of that over the past few months because me being an external designer in most cases, at least for the last six years or so, has always put me in a position where I need to fit into teams that aren't my own, right? So I go into these teams and uh, sometimes it's a lot of fun and we build something amazing. And sometimes it's just horrible and you feel depressed. And I started going over the like what could play into that. And there's a few different sides to it, among which like what drives you to build anything at all. And one of the things that drives me to build anything at all is because I have a deep love for technology. And that is a bit counterproductive sometimes because 
in the end, technology is just a solution. And if you don't understand the problem, technology doesn't make sense. Uh, right. So you, you want to explore the problem. And if you want to explore any problem, you eventually end up with people. So you'll, you'll meet a lot of designers who get the pitch, right? Like they will tell you, I do this because I care about people and I want to make their lives better. And I might be a bit arrogant on that front is that sure. I, I like people, but I like technology even more. And, um, I really want to work on things that I just find really cool and they're heavy on, on technology. Like it could be playing into, uh, innovation topics like uh, currently AI and, and large language models, uh, or, you know, we are working on this new email client. I've told you about this before mortal. It's like. It's just an email client, you know, but there's so much things left unexplored with email clients that that is kind of what drives me, the, the challenging of the status quo and believing that I can do it better if I, if I pay enough time and attention to it. So it's part of it is me just being interested with technology. The other part is also believing that technology can play a huge role in bettering certain processes, which could affect people's lives. Right. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah. I feel like for me, I mean, nowadays technology is also a big driver, but when I like was younger, I had no clue about like, I mean, what that mm -hmm. was all about. Um, and I always just wanted to be creative and create stuff, but that yeah. lead to like technology being able to help you create stuff yeah. um, helps a lot. Like the, the thing is, like when I was two years old and I was very lucky is that my dad brought home a Sega Genesis. It was like this classic game console. And he, he brought, I think, three games. And one of them was, of course, Sonic the Hedgehog. And by the time I was four, I got so good at these games that I, I prefer playing games rather than spend time with my friends, you know, it went that far. And, uh, by the time I was six, my dad gave me a computer and I started telling my dad, uh, or my parents in general, I, I want to create games. I want, I don't know what this is, but I want to make this. And my dad gave me, that was the second version of Photoshop. Like we're talking 1997 or something. He gave me first version of Photoshop installed on like his crappy uh, backup computer. And I was sitting there and there would be 10 wallpapers on Windows 95. It was back then. There would be 10 wallpapers and I would be dragging in the wallpapers into Photoshop and edit them. And that is what got me hooked on building things. Because I started very early with uh, from an interest in games, started photoshopping, and by the time I was 12, I had my first website up and running. And it wasn't anything special or valuable, but I liked creating it, at the process of it. So it all started with the craft. And I think design for a lot of other people starts with the people. And I... I try now to move myself the other way 
whereas I'm also convinced that the designers that start from the people perspective, uh, a lot of them, it wouldn't hurt to really move more into a craft as well. Would you say having that technical understanding helps you become a better designer? <laughs> Whatever I say here, internet is going to blow up. Okay. Because, um, <laughs> they're sure, like, yeah. this is, this is the ongoing debate. So it depends on what design means to a person for sure, because you can create heavily valuable, beautiful things without knowing about technology. Then again, if you're interested in delivering value faster in the technical space, let's say, knowing about technology is never going to hurt you. It's going to allow you to communicate more efficiently with your engineers. It's going to allow you to maybe even contribute to the work they're doing just by having an understanding and, and wanting to learn more about their personal challenges. And that all feedbacks back into your design process because there is no point in designing things that are so radically complicated to engineer that uh, you should spend time on it, right? I mean, there there will be edge cases there, like sometimes also, a, let's say a bad, I don't want to call it bad, but a complicated tech technological stack, a tech stack can also really limit design capabilities. So maybe sometimes you need to challenge it and you're going to be able to hold discussions about changing the tech stack in order to deliver more value. That's going to be very hard if you're a designer that doesn't know about technology. Good point. We had similar issues back at HelloFresh when we were bound to a, I don't want to say like 80s tech stack <laughs> designing our products and that really limited um, the, the, the design choices that we could make uh, in our internal products. Um, not the app, obviously. Yeah. And it's, it's a tough situation to be in because like it's very, uh, well, very easy. I wouldn't say very easy, but it's easy to measure the things that you have built rather than the things you cannot build. And how do you, how do you measure the impact of something you could have built if you never allowed yourself to build it because of constraints? And that is like a constant bet everyone is making, like they, they, it is rarely, the tech stack is rarely challenged. And I think everything we create, whether it's code, design, business structures or processes should be up for debate at all times, right? If it takes 10 million euros to change the, the stack, but it and it only delivers a million euros of business value, let's say, or money maybe we shouldn't do it, but the other way around can work as well, right? Like maybe it does take half a year to change the tech stack, but we heavily believe that it's going to return value to everyone on the long run and maybe it's worth it. But having that discussion is not always appreciated depending on the business you're in. Understood. Yeah. I want to go back a little bit into your own personal adventures, because that's also something I was super curious about. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah, you mentioned Mordon, but then you also had something ongoing um, roughly, right? And I, I was curious to understand, like, how, how do you find the problem spaces and identify those before you actually start, like, ideating or building a solution, right? Because I think a lot of people want to, like, design something and build a solution. But I think, first of all, you, you should be able to identify a problem. And I think that's something you probably did, right? Um, can you walk me through that? I mean, it, 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 cha it, 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 it changes per scenario a bit. So per, per, like for roughly, it was very different than for mortal. Roughly did not start with a problem space at all. Roughly was pure interest because image generation was becoming a hype. And I looked into it and the only thing I said, and I was having a gut feeling and I said to people around me that designers are not going to be prompt engineers because one of the things that makes designers good is not the ability to just prompt a machine is actually because they do, they have a craft in their hands and they kind of put emotions to paper, right? They draw. So my first intuition just went like, what if we could draw AI, you know, like, or use AI to draw. That's how roughly came to life. And people went nuts for it, and we got a lot of hype around it. Uh, but then the, the uh, then reality hits. So we got a grant from NVIDIA to build roughly. So they gave us 10,000 euros, and that could scale to 100,000 euros to build it out. But we realized two things, so we put it on hold for now, because we're running a design business and we work for clients. And running roughly is both very expensive and it's a rat race. So we we got into uh, we got to a point where we had to make a decision: Are, do we want to join the rat race with all the other people trying to build something similar? And is roughly really that fun to work on? And uh, the fun part is definitely true. I had a lot of fun working on it, but the costs and the rat race, that is what really uh, put a halt, like uh, put this thing to a standstill. It made me realize that I would rather uh, put my money into something that is overlooked at the moment because you can take a bit of your time and like we, if we start a product, it has to be flexible enough to start as a sidekick for now, because we don't really have the funds to, let's say, pull all of us out of client work and then work on that thing for half a year or, uh, or longer Then we would really have to go and get funding. And that is something I don't think we're ready for. So that's, that's kind of how we balance it. But coming back to finding problem spaces, I, I have one very practical piece of advice for people and Mordon started very differently. And these two things tie in together really well. So okay. I am under the impression that people overcomplicate problem spaces nine out of 10 times, like in corporate life. It can be very complicated. Why? You have a lot of people with different opinions and processes that all have a, 
a perceived benefit from what you're trying to do within corporate life. But in the outside world, quite literally all you have to do is be observant. Like take, you go to a mall, you know, this is the, like a good example. You go to a mall, pick a spot, sit down and watch people. And I can guarantee you, if you sit there for an hour or two and you're really observant, you will find people having an issue with the environment in some way or form. It, it can be an annoying escalator. It can be a tricky parking spot. It can be too many people watching their phones. It can be seatings in annoying places that keeps people from moving efficiently. Like it's, it's all around you. All you have to do is really look for it. And that's how Mordon started as well. I, ju I was just watching my girlfriend, Salam, use her email client when she was working at Nike. They were working, I believe, in Teams or Office 360, 365. I don't know what it's called. And uh, they were she was using Outlook. And I noticed that she was dragging emails in folders that said to do, doing, done. And I looked at it and I was like, but uh, she's, uh, and I realized she's managing her work, which comes in through email into do, doing, done. Well, there's not a single person in product that doesn't have some sort of Kanban board somewhere that says to do, doing, done. And that is quite literally how the concept of Mordon came alive. So that's when I said, well, why don't we take some principles that we have in product management in the tooling there and see if we can apply them to email. And my first sketch was a Kanban board. And the first column is an inbox. It's like, it was that, that simple. Then I wrote an article about it. I had a landing page and people started signing up massively. Sounds almost too simple to believe. <laughs> the, the complexity is the simplicity. It's taking the time to notice things and bring the information back and really try and understand it. It's like we, we are generally in a reactive state. Like we tend to just have an opinion about things and we keep moving and everything has to be fast, but it's actually in the moments where you slow down for a moment, where you learn something new. And were you curious about email clients or all those productivity tools before, or was it really just observing your girlfriend once? Interested is a big word. I would rather say hateful towards a lot of them because I mean, in, in smaller places like startups and agencies, I always had fun with productivity tools because we were able to use innovative ones. Like I'm a big fan of linear as a ticket tracker for development. I am, uh, I'm a big fan of tools like Slack and discord, but you go into, well, I'm working uh, for a bank right now. They need to comply with all kinds of regulations and securities. And it makes sense because there's a lot of sensitive data floating around, but it takes the fun out of things. You have to work with teams and Microsoft outlook and connect to VPNs and all this horrible shit. And then you're doing your ticket tracking in, in like Azure DevOps or Jira and 
I just want to scratch my eyes out when, when I do, you know. It's slow, it's cumbersome. So no, I'm not a big fan of productivity tools unless they're the the innovative fast ones again, like the, the technologically design pleasing stuff. It's interesting because in the end also with modern, like you're not reinventing the wheel, right? Like email clients have been there before. You're just taking it, seeing what doesn't work and maybe then try to find a find a better way. So, so here's the thing. Some people are trying to tell me that Dylan, uh, people are not touching it because it isn't worth it. I am under the impression that people aren't touching it because they're overlooking what could still be done. It's like, there's two sides to the same coin. On one side, everyone is used to a certain way of doing email. I'm also heavily confident that you shouldn't change the way email currently works too much. So there are competitors in our space that will try and create shared email inboxes and team management and all these things. And I think it's uh, going too far. Like you want to introduce anyone to a new paradigm in something that has been around for so long, you change one thing at a time and you, you don't obstruct their current way of working. You only try and enhance it. And that's what, uh, what we're trying to do with Mordor. We, the only thing that's happening there currently is we take your inbox and we move it next to a Kanban board and that's it. You can still open the emails. You can still read and reply and all these things. It doesn't really change. It starts with one value driver. Can you share more on the like current status? Like, is there, like, I mean, I guess I can sign up for a like list, but I cannot use it right now. Right? No, no, I cannot use it right now. So the way we were working on roughly, we weren't working on Mordon as much. Um, but Mordon is heavily back into action because we still believe in the idea and the people working on it are excited about it. Uh, at the current speed, I think we'll be launching a closed beta in a month and a half, two months, maybe. We'll invite the first, I think we'll start with like 10 to 20 people and that's it. Uh, just get feedback in, but we have a completely working prototype. Uh, we're working out some kinks on sending emails, but the Kanban board is there. You can connect your Gmail to it. You can read your emails. Like the first basics are in place and now we're going to release it. The most of our work there, and that's why I actually like the email domain is that Getting started on email is technically really advanced because the trickiest part in email is uh, parsing emails. So there you have, uh, you, you, you should think of it like this. You have all these email providers and there is, there are some standards to how emails are constructed and that co construction is uh, incredibly complicated. So it took us, I think. Well, it's still working out kinks, but it, it took at least five, six months of dedicated work to be able to render an email properly without buying into third-party expensive tooling. 
but it's going it's going to give us a uh, uh, tremendous leverage because we have full control over how we deal with emails. So yeah, it's it's like you know usually I wouldn't recommend taking so much time for a uh, prototype or an MVP for anything. Then again, we're we're working. Each of us is working on it. Maybe one to two days a week at the moment. So it's like if you compress it down, we've spent about three months in total, I think, working on Mortal, and we're getting pretty ready to a first test. So it, it still looks relatively decent. Yeah, point on time brings me to another thought. Like, wh when do you? Because I also like try to, I don't know, start things on the side or like pursue some little ideas, but I'm always not sure like when to persevere and when to like pivot or even stop. Um, it's just like with roughly or with modern now, you're working on it for quite some time, but like, yeah. I, I like what all of those like books are always saying, like all the, um, authors are saying like, you tr should try to test as soon as possible and then move on. Right. But with you or your story, it sounded like you took a lot of time, right? Like, what's your thought here? Yeah. You know, this is why I get upset with articles and books. <laughs> It's like, uh, they make a lot of sense. They make good points. But I think one thing is uh, quite often overlooked is how much any energy do you get out of it? Is it fun? Because perseverance doesn't only come down to whether what you're working on is working. It's like you will get backlash. It doesn't really matter what you're going to build. Like you will get backlash, but if you believe that it's going to be tremendously valuable, that is where my perseverance comes from. And, but I can also just as easily give it up. So my, What I try to do before I start anything is at least a sufficient amount of research to understand that the problem I'm observing is actually real or whether there's something else going on at the heart of it. And so for Mordel, I did talk to a lot of people before we went into, uh, before I went beyond the landing, initial landing page that I had. That was just to measure interest and I reached out to a subset of people on that list to ask them about their emailing experience. And when they were telling me about it, that's when I noticed I, this shit is giving me energy because I think email is stupid and I think I can make it cool. And uh, uh, that, is, that is how I decide for perseverance. That's also one of the reasons it roughly became trickier because it gave us energy designing and building it, but it wasn't actively solving a problem. Like, I do think we're going to see a lot of AI tooling, but right now it's it was taking too much energy for me at least to really figure out what what problem exists that is going to be solved by this and then you're actually taking a bit of a counterproductive approach because it it is it, it might be a huge waste of time to you know work a 
potential solution back to a problem. It's like you're trying to find a problem for a solution. It doesn't work like that. Start with the problem and the solution will become more apparent. And we started with technology and this is what I meant that I love technology, but without people, there is no connection. So you, you do have to start with the observations and the people that are having an issue. And I haven't really found designers with a specific design issue when it comes to concepting, let's say. I did, however, and I'm still convinced about this, I think a tool like Roughly is going to be far more interesting to people for, let's say, in architecture or in uh, in the movie business because it helps visualize conceptual ideas much quicker. But designers can already do that quite well and relatively fast. I guess even with, like, I think Figma wants to integrate AI as well. So I think that will be super fast, but you're right. I think you're, th you're thinking about like directors drafting a, a script for their new movie, right? Yeah. So Figma is in an interesting position because they have access to a shit ton of people's work and they can train models that return not a static image. They can return like actual Figma objects, right? frames and colors and all these things. So they, they might be able to solve efficiency issues. I wasn't able to solve an efficiency issue with roughly, at least for designers. I found with our tests, so we, we hosted a few events and participated in a few events. And what we saw is that people just had a lot of fun using it, but it wasn't tying into their professional work except for the architects that I spoke. So they had fun because it allowed them to quickly sketch out a building and then turn that into a visual concept. But the people that were most interested in roughly were kids. And um, they, they, we couldn't even get them away from the computer. They kept drawing. So if we ever want to re like take another look at roughly, I think we'll look into uh, solving a problem for children. And I think one of the problems that exist is how hard it is for a child to visualize their ideas and how much fun it can be to bring your dreams and drawings to life. That's a nice take. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm taking notes here. So basically... <laughs> Start with observing, finding problems, but then also verify if there is a market and like someone who's willing to pay for that because otherwise you're just building for your own sake. Yeah, I mean, if there's no market for it, then uh, I mean, you you can make it a personal passion project, but if you want to get earn money and get rich, then you need a market, right? Um, which I, by the way, think are perfectly valid goals to have. Now it's not, this is another tricky thing. It's like, yes, you should start with observations. Then again, don't limit yourself and also keep building things because in the end, no, 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 like no piece of success is single-sided. 
It's not because you did one thing right. It's because you did multiple things right and got lucky. So hone your craft, be observant, keep talking to people and keep, keep publishing whatever you're working on and just excel in public because it's going to be so tricky to get something right that, uh, you need to explore all these different sites. And that's what I really like about you with, you know, having a product management background, now going into business, taking technical courses, and you happen to like design, like. You know, it, it's like you, you have found a material at heart. <laughs> it, I also think it makes a lot of sense, but I'm questioning myself sometimes if it's too much. Like, you know, I mean, there's a reason why there are those three um, roles in a company, right? So, and I want to try, try to cover them all. Like, isn't that too much? What's your take? My take is that it's only too much if you don't know what you're doing it for. So... I, I tell this to everyone, regardless of whether they want to be a designer or build a product or have a business or service or, or whatever, it's if you don't have a vision of the future, a dream, let's say, how the hell are you going to decide which steps are the right one? If you want to build, like you don't know. And if you, if you're really keen on building a digital product if that is the thing that like drives you for whatever reason it is then grab onto that and lay out all the pieces that are needed to make that work and more likely than not you'll find that user research uh, visual design technology and a business mindset are all incredibly important actors in that setting and you might then choose not to be a specialist in the in these crowds but then your objectives becomes to become a good leader and pull people together and you'll you'll need to focus more on laying the puzzle rather than doing everything yourself because that won't work if you want to do all of it yourself it's like how that like sometimes you see some show pony that has an engineering or design background that also knows the other thing and then build something that becomes successful ish. But it's, that is, that is, that is such a big bet. It, like that is the outlier, right? I don't think that is the common, the common thing to expect. There's just so much to learn. I think that's the problem here. <laughs> endless, endless. So the, the, there's never going to be a, nothing to learn. So it's navigational skills are far more valuable. Which kind of brings me, I think, to the last question I brought to you or with me today. That's sure. on, because I mentioned I, I went back to university to study again. And I right. know your take is a little bit different. I'm, I'm not sure if you even studied, I, I don't know, but you mentioned something that on your LinkedIn that you're autodidact and you like to teach yourself things on your own, right? Um, like, yeah, tell me more about that. And how, how did you learn the craft of designing? Oh, yeah, yeah. so 
Okay, a bit of personal story here. Um, so, well, when I was growing up as a kid, I was dealing with severe depression and anxiety. And uh, that kind of led to a point in my life where I dropped out of high school. And uh, But I was always making things, like I told you. My dad kind of just gave me Photoshop, but I started playing with the tooling. And that that was very helpful. So during my high school dropout, even though I was sitting at home and I was scared to talk to people and uh, basically not go out of the house at all, I never stopped creating stuff. And that, that kind of resulted... Well, at the start, it was just based on gut feeling, just pure interest. Like, oh, I want to learn this thing now. I, it wasn't even that conscious. I was just drawn to these tools because I got bored. You know, like I finished my game. So what? Uh, what what's next? Um, what am I going to do? But at some point, I had to make a decision, go back into society and pick up my life or not, right? And I decided to go back into society and pick up my life. And... I noticed when I went back to school that there was a tremendous difference between the educational system and how my how I work. And I was always a bit rebellious. I you you cannot tell me well you can try, but it, it, it generally doesn't work that well. If you tell me you have to learn this thing, I will ask you why. And if you don't have an answer that aligns with what I want to achieve in my future, I don't see the point in it. But the things I was always playing with back then made sense in uh, align in alignment with my future because I wanted to create games. Now, I was a stubborn teenager and I didn't know any better. So there is a, a trade-off there. But uh, yeah, going through school, I just finished so... Uh, what is it called? Secondary vocabulary degrees, I think it is in English. Uh, and I started doing internships very early on. And it was the internships that, uh, that really resonated with me. Because the ones I got into, they never told me what to do. They told me what to question. And that made such a big difference. So, uh, at some point, I think around when I was 23, 24, I created, uh, that's when I got introduced to Kanban boards. I was, uh, I was just looking for ways to manage my design work back then. I was working in agency life for a few years by then. And I found, uh, Trello, you know, Trello, the Kanban board uh, yeah. tooling and something clicked. Because every time I was working on something, a task in Trello, it was because I had prioritized it. And it made so much sense from an educational perspective. And I started maintaining a Trello board for my education. So I put in all my wild ideas of things I wanted to learn, but I was only allowed to pick one to focus on at a time. And uh, that really helped. That's very good advice because I always find myself trying to do too much and then don't get to anything. Exactly. So it's it's one thing to be able to start thing, but it's a whole nother game to be able to finish something. 
And what this kind of is, project would that be? It started with tooling at the start. So I was always interested in all the tools and then, uh, I was like, okay, you know, uh, back then I was, uh, just a visual designer and I did 2d design, but I was really interested in exploring 3d. And at some point I took like three to six months, uh, playing with cinema for D every night. And I'm not a great 3d designer, but I can design a decent amount of work in 3d now. Um, and I had a lot of fun. And later on, when I started, uh, getting interested in psychology, so I had a completely change of heart, right? Somewhere along that way. And I started, uh, taking courses on user experience, design, human computer interaction. And I just started reading all the books, uh, you know, from, uh, what was the one, like, uh, don't make me think and. But I would have to dig a bit again to find the books back. But I started reading these books on, on uh, research and psychology. And then that later on changed again. And I became more interested in business. And well, we have a whole bookshelf here. I'll, I'll show you when you come over with all the books that I read or tried reading, uh, depending on my study goals. And that is when I realized that I felt underappreciated on LinkedIn and I created a fake school page called autodeduct and I sent it to LinkedIn and I told them, guys, you're missing a huge chunk of people that cannot represent their study, uh, study achievements because their school is not a school and, uh, they accepted it. So we have, we have our own school page on LinkedIn. Which you were actually in contact with, with the LinkedIn team. Yeah. I sent an email to, I think to their support channel or something. <laughs> That's cool. I think, yeah, a lot, a lot of things that I can take over from that. Build a Trello board for my learning project. At least, I mean, so the Trello board, that, that was the solution, but the problem was prioritization. If you want to finish something, prioritize it and stick to it. But it has to be important enough and it, you really have to sit down and think about it because it's easy to have a search of energy and interest. It's not that easy to, to work on your goals. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Good stuff. I'm just thinking, is there anything else I should have asked you today? Um, I think my three questions are all answered. I, I think we went over quite some things, um, but maybe to, to, uh, you know, lead to an end. I'm really curious what you think about this approach of, you know, having this discussion and sharing it with the outer world, like. Have you, have you listened to the first episode last week? I did. Yeah. So um, what are your takeaways on that? Are there things that uh, should be improving or you think like, uh, could be a good idea? So, I mean, first of all, I'm a big fan of mentoring overall. I mean, totally. I think that's a, one of the best forms of learning anyways. And obviously it's limited to that one-to-one -one discussion you're having with the mentor. 
Um, mm. And I think it makes sense to share some bits of it, um, even to the outside world. I'm, I mean, to, to be honest, I'm not sure if a lot of others can find value from our discussion here, uh, but we'll see. Mm. Um, I found the first one quite interesting in terms of, because I'm also curious about starting into UX. So if yeah. the topic resonates with me, I think I can get a lot of value. But if not, obviously I would skip it. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's something I'm also trying to figure out. I I haven't found my niche yet, apart from it being in the design, product design space. Um, and that's the whole test here. I'm just going to release it, get feedback, have an opinion, and see what's next. I'm going to say that episode might not be too much about the UX design part, but more about the problem discovery and entrepreneurial part of it, of your journey. Yeah, and I think this one is tying into that too as well. And I do believe that the questions you brought to the table today is probably on a lot of people's mind, just finding your pace and having ambitions and how to navigate that is, uh, I think there's a lot of people with big dreams out there. <laughs> all right, man. then, uh, yeah, let's leave it at that. Thank you a lot for this. Uh, I'm still hoping you're going to come over in March. If so, yes. let me know you're super welcome. Uh, thank you for today. Thanks for your time, Dylan. Really appreciate it. I'll share the video with you later. Perfect. Cheers. Bye.